All right. So as you can see, we're talking about if God, why evil? This is another two-parter because it needs to be. And um, hang on a second. Let me shut this thing off. There we go. So most common problem that we have, the most common question that we have, and that's what this one is, is if God, why evil? Um, And so why even discuss the problem of evil? And that becomes the question. And again, it's just what I was saying. The problem of evil and suffering is is one of the reasons many people deny God's existence or reject the God of the Bible, right? They come up with whether it's a personal um, dilemma, tragedy in their life, or a friend, or they just see a theoretical problem of evil, and they can't justify that in their mind. How could a good God allow that to happen? And so they end up turning away from the Lord, or they just never receive Him and never draw near, not that they, you know, because turning away assumes that they've been there at one point in time. Um, but anyway, so they reject the God of the Bible because of this problem of evil. Uh, for Gen Z, which is that, that's a really a demographic that you're probably talking the early 20s. I think maybe it goes down to about the age of 12 and, and beyond that. We're, we're not even sure that they're humans yet, but they're going to get there, though, I promise you. And so anyway, so that's Gen Z, right? 29% of them cite evil and suffering as their greatest reason for denying God. And when we think about this, and certainly with millennials, and we see this also with Gen Z, man, they're driven by their emotions. They're driven by their emotions. And so, man, when you start to try to deal with this issue of if God is so good, why does evil exist? If your emotions is all you have to lean on, you're going to struggle greatly with this question. You're going to struggle greatly with this question. Uh, Studies show that 90% of suffering experienced by humans is caused by humans. You know, and I've been just doing research and trying to find those studies so I could sit there and cite that. Man, it's all over the Internet. People are citing this number. I just couldn't find any research that was actually drawn to that. You know, 90% of the wildfires are caused by humans. 90% of wrecks are caused by humans. So I guess maybe that's just a good generic number. If it's a problem, it's 90% human caused. Uh, But anyway, so if you think about it, so that leaves 10% is caused by Natural disasters, natural evil, that kind of thing. Um, so Epicurus's trilemma. Epicurus, right? He's a Greek philosopher in about 340 to 270 BC, so he's been around a while. And so he presents this trilemma, this problem, and it's really just kind of for to refute the existence of God. But this is what it looks like. He says, if God is unable to prevent evil, then he isn't all-powerful. If God isn't able to prevent evil, then he isn't all-powerful. If God's not willing to prevent evil, he's not all good. If God is willing and able to prevent evil, then why does evil exist? Is he neither able nor willing? Then why call him God? Then why call him God? If this good God allows evil to exist and he does nothing to stop it, he's neither good nor is he God. Right? And so that's Epicurus. Again, this, is this, this, this was his argument that he made a couple thousand years ago. 
right? And so then we have David Hume. He effectively used this argument in the 18th century during the period of enlightenment. He was a Scottish philosopher, also an atheist, and he uses this same argument, changes it up a little bit, and he deals with it from the aspect of miracles also, but it ends up being the same thing. If God is so good and God is so powerful, why does evil exist? Why doesn't he do something about evil? Um, and if that's not enough to convince you, we have Lex Luthor from DC Comics, right? He used this argument in Batman versus Superman in the Dawn of Justice, right? So you got it from the philosophical realm. You got it in the superhero realm. Clearly, this is a problem that we need to deal with, right? If not for the other two, because Lex Luthor talked about it, all right? And so we've got to deal with the problem of evil, right? And there's Lex Luthor in case you didn't see that. Um, so evil defined. What is evil? Before we can talk about why God's not doing anything about it, we need to define what it is. Evil defined, it is not a thing. Evil is not some tangible thing that you can point to, you can touch, you can feel and say, this is evil. This is evil. TikTok is evil. I mean, right? You, you, those, it's not something that we can point to and say those things, right? And so we end up like evil is, it's a privation or a corruption of a good thing. Evil is a privation or a corruption of a good thing, right? Cancer cannot exist unless there's a good body for cancer to exist in, all right? There's got to be some good there before evil can exist within that, we see the same thing in rust. Rust is the corruption of good thing iron, but rust does not exist in and of itself. Darkness, it's the absence of light. Darkness is the absence of light. And so, and again, you can go into a room and then you can turn out the lights and eventually your eyes will, will adjust because there's still some light that's filtering in. This was many years ago. My wife and I, we were in New Mexico and we were in some caves there and and I'm not a cave person anyway. Uh, this creeps me out to go underground because I know it's all going to collapse and I'm going to be buried there alive. But that's another issue altogether, right? So we go down into this cave, right? And they're in a group and they said, we're going to turn out the lights. They said, don't move until we turn the lights back on. I don't, I don't, has anybody been in that before? The few people nodding their heads. Man, they turned out the lights. It was creepy dark. I mean, pitch, I mean, this you couldn't see. And you, you think, oh, okay, well, your eyes are going to adjust. They never adjusted. It was just darkness. Darkness is not a thing. It's the absence of light. And we see the same thing with cold is the absence of heat. Cold is not something that really exists, right? Heat is a measurable thing. It's energy, and we can measure energy. Right. And so when we give a temperature and we talk about freezing and we talk about below zero, what we're talking about is the absence of heat. It's not it's not something that's cold that we can define that. It's the absence of heat and it's a measurable thing. And once all the heat is removed from an object or something, right, it doesn't get any less heat. Right? I think it's 273 degrees minus 273 degrees Celsius. That's at the end where all heat is removed. And you can't remove any more heat, so it doesn't get any colder. So cold is the absence of heat. Darkness is the absence of light. 
So what does that have to do with evil? Because evil is the absence of a good that should be there or that which deviates from good. Evil is the absence of a good that should be there. There we go. So what is good? All right, the Bible defines good as the way things ought to be, the way things ought to be, or the way God originally designed them to be. That's good. All right, Genesis 131. God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And again, the Hebrew word for that very good, it's, it's tab me'ad. And it means, exceed, it means exceedingly heartbreakingly happy, intelligent, charming in a splendid way. I mean, man, it, it is like an overabundance of good that all reflects God's character. That's very good. And that's how he created all things. That's how he created all things. Very good. So there's two kinds of evil. Hang on to that thought, right? There's moral evil, which is human caused evil, which we talked about. 90% of the evil that exists in the world is human caused. Natural evil results from nature and causes pain and death. Earthquakes, typhoons, tsunamis, fires, etc., etc., etc. So those are the two kinds. So all must answer. Everybody must answer. And again, this question, if God is so good, why does evil exist? It's put to Christians, and it should be. And we should have an answer for that. But what happens is, is people ask us those questions, and they put us on the defensive, and we let them get away without an explanation. Everybody has to answer, why does evil exist? And... What are we to do about the evil that does exist? Whether you're an atheist, a Muslim, a Mormon, Hindu, everybody has to have an answer for that question. Right? We need to have an answer. Right? And this is the, the apologetic realm. This is what we're talking about is that we need to be able to defend our faith. But we should also ask the person who's just asked us, what do you do about the problem of evil? What do you say that evil is? What is your solution to evil? Right? We go back to asking questions, um, but don't let them escape without them giving an answer also. Right? All beliefs must give an answer for the problem of evil. Right? Pantheism accepts God, but they deny evil. Right? Pantheism claims that all the universe is God. All is God is what pantheism says. So again, they're good with God. They just said that evil does not exist. And so if you think you're experiencing pain and suffering, you just need to overcome that with your thoughts and your ideas. Right? Because it's not something that really exists and you need to tell yourself that. Right? And so guys, especially the younger ones, if you don't have any kids yet, right? when your first child comes along and your wife is going into labor and everything, just tell maybe you're not feeling any pain. You just need to tell yourself you're not feeling any pain. Now, when you wake up in intensive care, you'll know, don't do that again, okay? Because we know pain is something that really exists. And we know that evil is something that really exists. And so when we talk about this idea about pantheism, that they accept God and deny evil, does that match the reality of the world around us? And it doesn't. 
It does not to say that there is no pain, that there is no evil. Right? Atheism accepts evil, but they deny God. And then theism, they accept both God and evil. Theism accepts both God and evil. All right, so Dawkins and evil. Except when you get to Dawkins, right, he, he's going to sit there and deny evil, and he's an atheist. But this is what he says. He says, in a universe of electrons and selfish genes, blind physical forces, and genetic replication, some people are going to get hurt. Other people are going to get lucky, and you won't find any rhyme or reason in it, nor any justice. The universe that we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is, at bottom, no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but pitiless indifference. You know, and we can be appalled at his quote that he's made, but the reality is that's exactly what an atheist should think and should believe because if we have no foundation for calling something good then we can't call something evil right because evil is the absence of good and if there is no good then there is no evil most atheists would not agree with what Dawkins just said he's living out his atheistic belief at least in this quote He's being consistent with atheism. Right? Now the question that, right, that we usually get caught up in is, atheist, are you saying that I can't, I can't do good? And that's not even the question. The question is, is what's your foundation for calling something good? And thus you, you end up at this quote here, we have no foundation so there is no good and there is no evil. You tell that to a mother and a father whose child has leukemia. They know that evil exists. They know that pain and suffering exist. Again, that is an idea that does not match up with the reality of the world that we live in. And if it doesn't match up with the reality of the world that we live in, at best, we need to reject it. At worst, we need to be skeptical of it. Does it match the reality of the world that we live in? Right? And that's Richard Dawkins. Hinduism. Man, they talk about evil and suffering are directly related to karma and reincarnation. To karma and reincarnation, right? To alleviate suffering within Hinduism is to interfere with karma, right? And so you didn't live a very good life here, and so you're going to be reincarnated into a form of suffering, into a life of suffering, into a life of poverty, and so for Hinduism to interfere, oh, well, let me come alongside of you and help you. Let me feed you. Let me give you a job. Let me clothe you. Let me give you a place to live. Let me help you with this. That is an idea that is foreign to Hinduism because you get what you deserve. You get what you deserve. You lived a previous life not well, not good, and that's why you've come back as a cockroach or whatever it is that you come back as but mostly evil and suffering. And so, man, when missionaries first started going into India, man, that was a problem because you, you have all of these street people, right? They have a caste system, and they're the lowest of the low, but they're there because of bad karma. And so when Christians start coming into India and they are helping these people out, that is just a foreign concept to Hinduism. 
They can't even wrap their mind around that. As a matter of fact, they would consider you're hurting that person more than helping them because justice is not being served. You're interfering with the, with the role of justice or the role of karma. So new age, right? We suffer because we fail to recognize our own divinity. If we can just get in touch with our God consciousness, right, all this evil and all this suffering will go away because you're really God. And God wouldn't suffer. Okay? And then Christianity. Right? Evil is a loss of shalom. Right? And shalom is defined as peace with God and humanity. You know, but it's, it's more than that. It's, it's this idea of peace. It's this idea of prosperity. It's this idea of welfare. Shalom. So when we look at Jeremiah 29, 7, and it says, you know, you seek the welfare of the city, that Hebrew word for welfare, it's shalom. Seek the shalom of the city. We are to seek for the peace, for the prosperity and the welfare. But evil is the loss of that shalom. It is the loss of that shalom. Right? We know that as followers of Christ is that when we sin and we rebel against God's command, we lose that peace. We lose that shalom because the relationship has been broken. Right? There's a hindrance, there's a barrier in our relationship. Right? We see it as husbands and wives when we have issues with our spouses. Right? There's, that, there's that break, there's that break in that harmony and that shalom. And that's how Christianity, we lose that shalom, we lose that peace, we lose that prosperity. But God created all things good and with a good purpose. He created all things good and with a good purpose. All right, evil, again, we talked about this as a lack or a deprivation of God's good design and purpose. It's a lack of. And again, how the words are framed is important. Okay, it's important that the words that we're using here, because of that, did God create evil? If we go back to Epicurus's trilemma or David Hume's argument or Lex Luthor's argument, right? It gives the impression that God created evil and he's not even strong enough to, do, to correct it. Did God create evil, right? Albert Einstein struggled with this. He said, if, if he, God, is the one ultimately responsible for our actions, then he is behind all the harm we do to each other. And that's Albert Einstein. You know, and it's, it's just always interesting. You find people that don't believe in God, but when something bad happens, oh, look, look what God did. Well, who are you even talking about? So we're quick to blame God for the problems. Remember, how many, are hum, how many are problems are human caused? 90% are human caused, yet we're quick to blame God for the evil that exists. Right? No, evil is not a created thing. It's a lack or a corruption of a good thing. You have to have a good thing there, and then you get a deprivation or a lack or a fault within that good thing and we end up with evil so evil is not a created thing god didn't create evil god can't create evil god can only create out of what he has in other words out of his attributes out of his character 
And so because God is good and he's holy and he's pure and he's beautiful and he's loving, everything that he creates is very good because that's his nature. You know, God can't create something that's not good. I was talking with the students this morning and, you know, can God, can God create a stone so big that he can't lift it? And I had a college student ask me that once at University of Memphis. And I'm like, he said, how do you answer that? I said, it's an illogical question. What? God can't do anything that's outside of his character. Right? Scripture tells us God cannot lie. Why? Because he's truth. And so God cannot create evil. If he did, he wouldn't be God. Everything God does is driven by his character, by his very nature. So... Where did evil come from? Right? If God is a perfect God, why did he create good beings who committed evil? Right? Which is, this is where we get to. If God didn't create it, where did evil come from? That's the question, right? God created only good things. One good thing that God created was free will. God created free will. Free will makes evil possible. Well, couldn't God create beings, free will beings that couldn't create evil? Why not? Yeah, it's not free will at that point in time. It's another illogical statement to sit there and say, I am a being with free will, but I cannot choose to do evil. That is an illogical statement. And... Again, God can only create out of what he has. God has free will. Right? God has free wills, and he created us with free will. And say, well, how does God have free will if he does everything out of his character? Well, God didn't have to create. Right? God was good in his triune nature with the Trinity, perfect beings, perfect community, perfect everything. God didn't need Right? I've heard somebody say, well, God needed us so he'd have people to worship. God doesn't need our worship. We owe him that. We owe him our worship. We owe him our allegiance. We owe him our everything. But God doesn't need it. That is for our good. It doesn't add no benefit to God. But he chose to create all of the universe. He freely chose to do that. Right? And another area, right? when Adam and Eve disobeyed God, when they fell, when they sinned, God chose to offer salvation. God did not have to offer them salvation, and he does, didn't have to offer us salvation. But because of his love for us, he freely chose to redeem us. And so we see God exercising his free will. So what is free will? Free will is the ability to choose that which is right all right the world defines freedom free will as i get to do whatever i want when i want how i want right and that's how the world defines freedom or free will that is a false definition of free will this is it free will is the ability to choose that which is right or the ability to do otherwise right Adam and Eve in the garden, God says, you got all these trees to eat from, they're yours, enjoy them, just don't 
Don't touch this one. The opportunity for free will to be exercised is there. If God just didn't put the tree of the knowledge of good and evil into the garden, would they have the opportunity for free will to be exercised? They wouldn't. They would only have good to do, which is not free will. You have to have the ability to choose that which is right. And so if there's 999 trees in the garden, there's one you shouldn't eat from, you know what? Their nature is our nature. Their nature is our kids' nature. The thing we say that we cannot do is the thing we want to do. I think Paul talks about that. Right? Free will is the ability to choose that which is right or the ability to do otherwise. To choose not to do good is evil. If you know the good that you ought to do and you do not do it, this is sin. Right? This is sin. Question so far? Yeah, Melissa. Um, so, so this free will existed before the, before they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And it, it, it exists afterwards. It's just been marred. But they did have free will before before they took of the fruit. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And again, that's all Satan is doing. He is offering this to them. And they freely chose to receive that. They exercised their free will. Anything else? Or Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Free will is, I mean, again, that's the, that's the quick answer. Why does evil exist? Because free will exists. Because free will exists. That's the reason why. You know, but again, I mean, you, when somebody asks that question, we need to be sensitive to why they're asking that question. Look, I can give you the theodicy or the theological reason why evil exists, and, uh, but you know what? A lot of times people don't need the theological answer. They need to know that you feel their pain, that you hurt with them. Why does my child have leukemia? Man, I don't know. What I do know is that's never was God's purpose and design. That was never God's purpose and design. Again, they don't, they don't need the theodicy to know this whole answer. Does God care? That's what they need to know. And we need to have that sensitivity in that, that I'm, I'm just not trying to just give you quick answers. Man, I, man, I want to bring you to the throne room of God to know that he cares and he feels your pain and he suffers with you and he hurts with you and he's going to be with you through this. You are not left alone. Yeah. One of my favorite examples of that pain and hurt and that God cares is when um, Martha and Mary are so distraught and mm-hmm. Jesus 
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and again, that's where you get sin and suffering bring this. The fall brings this about. The fall brings this about. We good? Anything else? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we see that in the coming of Christ. I mean, man, we are fallen people in a fallen world. And it, I'm sending my son. I am sending my son. You, you don't walk through it alone. And so you have that emotional pain that's involved with it. And sometimes people just have that intellectual struggle that falls with it. You know, because we, we talk about Richard Dawkins a lot, and, you know, and I, and I can be pretty hard on him and everything. And, you know, but when you find out more about Richard Dawkins' life, I mean, he was sexually abused as a child. And you're like, wow. Does it wonder, where was God? Does that come up? Michael? Yeah. 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 Yeah, absolutely. You don't have to say anything. Now, of course, Job's friends went beyond that, right? But be with them. You know, be with them. I mean, I'm just a, I, man, I could just be an awkward person. And, um, you know, I, I just don't do good around dead, dead bodies. I mean, I, I just don't, I, you know, I didn't grow up with it and I don't know if my parents protected me from that or anything. And it was just, um, I just never went to funerals and it just creeped me out. It just creeped me out. And so I'll tell you this story. It's, it's a short one. I was working for another company and I happened to be over in Nashville and my wife's aunt had passed away. She was like 90 years old. I mean, I mean, she was, she lived, she lived a full life. And she's like, hey, they're, they're having the, and she, we were living over here in Memphis. And she goes, hey, could you just go to the funeral home and just kind of represent the family? And I'm like, you mean like tonight? And she goes, yeah, yeah. Your aunt's going to be there? Yeah. I'm, I'm not from the South, okay? You, I don't know if you guys figured that out. I'm not from the South. And so I'm like, yeah, 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 I, I, could, I could do that. I'm pretty busy, but I could, I could probably get over there and represent, right? And so it's a big, long room. And so I come in the back, you know, and I'm just trying to be, hey, <laughs> you signed the book. And so my mother-in-law sees me. She's up at the, she's, oh, Rick, we're so glad you're here. And so she grabs my arm, and she is walking me down towards this casket. And the closer we, I'm just getting mortified. I'm just, oh my gosh, this, this is not good. This is not good. This is not good. And so we get up to the casket and she's like, I won't say this if I come to your funeral, I promise. I, 
my wife, my wife has taught me a few things. And she's like, doesn't she look so natural? That's what her mom said. And I'm like, no. <laughs> there was nothing natural about the whole thing at all. I mean, it was just, it was, it was just wrong. It was just wrong. And then she was just like, do you want to kiss her? And I'm, oh, my gosh, so I got to go. I, I just got to go. This is not right. This is, you know. And so, you know, I just, I just don't do funerals well. But I, I, I won't say that. If I come to your I won't say that. I'm not going to kiss you either. No, I'm not going to do that either. Huh? That's just creepy. This is creepy. And death, it's not natural. Death is not natural. Because it was never part of God's purpose and design. It was part of the fall. And those are some of the effects that we feel from the fall when a loved one passes away. It's part of the fall. So, is free will good or is free will evil? Right? Not many people would say the freedom of choice is a bad thing, or you see him marching in the streets down with freedom. Right? Take away my choice. We, we don't see people revolting in the streets over that. Right? We see free will or freedom as a good thing. Because without free will, love is not possible. Without free will, love is not possible. So Ward was talking, and he, he said, he, if he made us robots, right? And what we're seeing with AI is just incredible these days. But, you know, and they can program it with some kind of emotional response, but there's no emotion, and there's no love. Without free will, there is no love. And, again, God could create robots to worship him, but is that worship? It's, it's not. It's just a program. It's a computer just doing whatever you wanted it to do and say whatever you wanted it to say. That's not worship, man. That's not love. Free will makes that possible. It makes love possible because without it, there is no love. Yep. Free will makes love a reality. And love is worth the risk. Love is worth the risk. Now, that's spoken from a human perspective, right? If we talk about God's perspective, there's no risk involved, right? But from a human perspective, love is worth the risk. And again, it's, you go through and it's like, yeah, well, you could get hurt. Yeah, but you, you could have a great life. Man, you could spend eternity with somebody that Man, you love. You can spend this life. That's a good thing. Free will makes that possible. But it also allows for the possibility of evil. It also allows for the possibility of evil. If you're free to love, you're also free to hate. If you're free to give, you're also free to take. Good comes out of free will. Evil comes out of free will. Questions? And there is none. We're moving on. Universal origin of sin. So where did sin come from? 
Isaiah 14, 12 through 14 says, How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn. You have been cut down to the earth, you who have weakened the nations. But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God, and I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Then Ezekiel 28, 12 through 17, you were in Eden, the garden of God. You were the anointed cherub who covers, and I placed you there. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked in the midst of the stones of fire. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until unrighteousness was found in you. By the abundance of your trade, you were eternally filled with violence and you sinned. Therefore, I have cast you as profane from the mountain of God, and I have destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom by reason of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I put you before kings that they may see you. And then we jump up to Revelations. So who is this person we're talking about? Revelations 12, 7 through 9. And there was a war in heaven, Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon. The dragon and his angels waged war, and they were not strong enough, and there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down into the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And so we find here is the origin of universal sin. Right? God created Lucifer a good being with free will. And he chose his free will to try to place his throne above God. Right? He sinned against God. That was his free will. God didn't create him to sin against him. He created him a good being with free will. Right? And then we get the story. God, God threw Lucifer and the third of his angels and those who chose to follow Satan out of heaven. And so what we see in these passages is that when God created angels, he created them with free will. Because Satan chose to rebel against God the same way Adam and Eve did, right? And a third of the angels followed Lucifer. They chose to follow Lucifer. God didn't create them to follow Lucifer. God didn't create them so he could cast them down to the earth. He created them good beings with free will, and a third went with them. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because that's when I was saying, you know, from human terms, we see love as a risk. God doesn't see it that way because he knows all things perfectly. He knows the past, present, and the future, just like the eternal now. So for him, it's not like, oh, man, Jesus. Do you see what Lucifer did? I mean, he's, he's not surprised by these things. None of that takes God by surprise. And a lot of that reasoning we're going to get into next week when we get into this whole, we'll get, we'll get deeper into that reasoning about that. But yeah, God knew that that was going to take place because he's, he's all-knowing. He is all-knowing. Matthew. Yeah, I don't know. 
I, I, don't, I don't know that anybody does know. I, scripture doesn't give us that. Uh, and so I don't, I don't know that answer. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, you had the heavens there, but again, I mean, you you get into the timeline about when when did Satan fall? We we just don't know. We can speculate all we want. We just know that it was before Adam and Eve fell. Well, it was all in God's absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, God wasn't surprised by any of this and think I need to go to plan B, right? It's it's all working as God God knew. It's not his purpose and design for that sin to happen, but he knew it was going to happen. Ron. Yeah. Yeah. So he's using that as a clear choice of good Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. And that was presented to Adam and Eve. And so again, we just know that it happened before the fall. That's all we know. So I don't know. Next question would be then why did he send him to Mars Yeah. Well, that's true, but we don't know that either. Again, in God's wisdom, he knows why he did what he did, and, and we know that was really the only option for him to do because God always does the best thing always. God doesn't do second best or third best or, eh, that was kind of good. He always does good. He always does good. Ideas have consequences. Ideas have consequences. Right. We live in a world today where a lot of ideas, just not a lot of consequences. And as long as I don't have consequences for my bad ideas, I can just keep coming up with bad ideas. Somebody else may suffer for them, but as long as I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. My ideas have consequences. Good ideas bring good consequences. Bad ideas bring bad consequences. So, earthly origin of sin, Genesis 3. Right? Satan plants the seed of doubt about God's truthfulness and goodness. He's just planting the seed. He didn't make them. But that's what he's trying to do. I want you to doubt God's truthfulness of his word and the goodness of his character. He tempts Adam and Eve with the option to do wrong. Again, he just tempts them, and now their free will has an opportunity to do that which is right or otherwise. Eve chooses to give in to the temptation. In other words, she's exercising her free will. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to their eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate, and she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. They exercised their free will to rebel against God's command. And again, you know, so often I've heard people present it this way, and it's, they just ate a piece of fruit. Come on. I mean, they ate the apple instead of the banana. You know, that's not the sin. The sin is rebellion against God. That's the sin. Just to say it's a piece of fruit is we're minimizing what really took place. And when we say it's just a piece of fruit, what, what are we implying about God? If I tell you, look, Kermit, it's just a piece of fruit, man. It's okay. It's not, it's not that big of a deal. What am I implying about God in that statement? 
Yeah, what he says doesn't matter. Or he's, he's just an unjust God. The punishment doesn't match the crime. Because we don't understand the crime. And it is rebellion against the holy God who is just and righteous and always does good. And God's goodness isn't just a deistic God that exists outside of the universe or outside of this earth, the earth. Man, that's what makes our relationship with him possible, that he desires that, that he is a personal, intimate God. And Adam and Eve desired the things of the world more than they desired the things of God. You know, I used to sit there and think, man, you know what would ever happen if they just didn't do that? It didn't take long for God to get me. Once we got to you, Rick, you'd, you'd have messed it up. You'd have messed it up. Free will. Free will. All right? The Bible teaches that the line between good and evil divides each human heart. Man, if you spend any time studying critical theory, um, certainly not enough time to go into it now, or man, good and evil is divided amongst ethnic groups. It's divided amongst male and female, right? It's not divided my heart. It's just some groups are evil and some groups are good. Man, there's all kinds of biblical denials in that. But Scripture tells us that the line between good and evil divides each human heart, yours and mine and everybody that we come across. That's where evil separates, and it's in our hearts. It's not our ethnicity. It's not our gender. It's not our geopolitical differences. It's none of that. It's our heart, and it's our rebellion. Sin affects every aspect of God's creation. Again, we talk about salvation, and man, salvation is of utmost importance. But man, sin not just affected our relationship with God, it reflected our, infected our relationship with each other and even with the creation. Even with the creation. And that's why when we talk about the gospel, right, that's the beginning point. When somebody prays to receive Christ, man, we should rejoice. We, I mean, we should. But that's just the beginning Man, we need to live and create a culture of flourishing. And that involves shalom for our communities, for our world, environmentally, emotionally. In every aspect, it involves that. We can't just leave it at the gospel. It'll never be less than the gospel, but it'll always be more than the gospel. Okay, questions? Problems? Concerns? Kevin? Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, they wouldn't exist. I mean, I think uh, Dawkins, I don't, it wasn't in that quote. He says, we just dance to the DNA, the music of our DNA. In other words, there is no free will. You just respond, you react. Yeah, and that's the reason why. Well, Darwin's quote that I gave you is appropriate for an atheist to say that. Because of what, again, very few atheists will say that, though. Very few will say that. And again, with each one of those worldviews that I represented, this briefly spoke about, is they have to have an answer for the problem of evil also. And is the answer that they give, does it match the reality of around us? Again, we... We believe the Christian, hopefully we believe the Christian worldview, not because Mima and Papaw told us it was true, right? It's because we see that it's true. We've experienced that it's true. And it best answers the reality of the world around us. Right? Dawkins, there's no justice. Oh, my gosh. The people in critical theory, Black Lives Matters, Antifa, the alt-right, these people will lose their mind to sit there and say that there's no justice. You're wasting your time. There's no justice. That's not what our God says. That's not what Christianity says. Even if you don't receive justice in this life, you will receive it in the next. But no other world can tell you that. No other worldview can tell you that. And so when we start stacking up, This evidence for Christianity, which is what we've been doing all semester, is Christianity best answers the reality of the world around us, and it offers the only solutions. It offers the only solutions. And that's what we need to understand when we go out into the world, and that's what we need to be teaching our kids and our grandkids. It's not this true because I say it's true, or the pastor says it's true, or the Bible says it's true. It's true because it matches the reality of the world around us. God hasn't left us in a vacuum to wander blindly around to try to figure this stuff out. Man, he has given us this story. It's a meta-narrative. I'm getting ready to go off, right? It's a meta-narrative. It's this grand story that best explains everything that we see. Just about, not just about, every worldview has a meta-narrative. They think they've got the reason why we're the way we are and what the solutions are. But only one actually deals with it. Only one actually deals with that. So yeah, when we bump up against those other worldviews, that's an opportunity for us to say, wow, is that true? Does that match God's word? Does that match God's character? And those are questions that we just need to ask ourselves and we need to ask the people that we're talking with. Good, good thought. Yeah, Ward? Mm-hmm. And he believed, I'm sure he thought there was a supreme being of some kind. But we shared the gospel with him, and I, I, I don't believe he heard a word we said, because when we got through, he, he said, how could God that you're telling me about allow what I see mm-hmm. these children going like this? Yeah. Yeah. 
yeah, that was, that was his barrier. And he sees it every day. You know, he sees that every day. And I understand why he would, he would think that. I, I get that. And again, we have that answer. Atheism doesn't have that answer. It was a sleep yeah, Hinduism doesn't have that answer. <laughs> Carrie's like, don't leave me out. Yeah, yeah. No, but we did talk to him, gosh, over an hour and a half, I guess. And the Holy Spirit finally opened his eyes to see that sin was a result of the fall. Yep. And he accepted Christ. I got a couple letters from him. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Definitely. And, and that is the Spirit's work. It's, it's not my job to convince you that this is the view that best matches reality. It's my job to present it. It's your job to present it. It's the Holy Spirit's job. And so often, and, I, and I've been guilty of this, is, oh, I just need to do the work of the Holy Spirit because he's not working fast enough here. Right? And that's just me thinking I know better than God. And I'm back in the garden with Adam and Eve. I'm back in the garden with Adam and Eve. And it does happen. And so, you know, I get, I get a lot of questions. And again, that evil one is the number one that I get. And invariably, I'll, I'll, I'll always try to ask, man, that's a great question. Why is that the number one question? Because, again, I'll get people, and they'll, they'll give me a list of questions. I'm like, what's the most important one? If I can only answer one for you, which one is it? And that's usually the one. If God's so good, why does evil exist? It may, it may sound different in, in a different framework. And then I'll ask, that's a great question. Why is that your number one question? Because normally behind the question, there's a hurt. There's a hurt behind the question. And we, we need to present the Christ of healing, the Christ of hope, the Christ that cares. Because there's sometimes once I start dealing with that, I really I never even answer the question. Because we've dealt with the issue. And it's a hurt. They've been hurt by the church. They've been hurt by somebody else. They've been, you know, there's there's a million different ways to get hurt. But we want to be sensitive to the spirits leading, not just give a quick answer or a rebuttal or a rebuke. Be sensitive to the leading of the Spirit. And again, you know what, man, that takes praying before, that takes praying during, that takes praying after. I, I know I'm preaching to the choir here, and uh, it just needs to be said, and I need to say it often when we deal in the realm of apologetics. Because the reality is, a lot of times, people that get into apologetics, they like that back and forth. They like that, and they want to win the argument. That's, that's, that's not biblical apologetics. That's not biblical apologetics. Okay, questions? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's whatever's been created needs a creator. 
whatever, it's, if it's always existed, it doesn't need a creator. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the quick answer. There's obviously more to that. Um, I mean, there, yeah, there's, yeah, there's, there's more to it. But that, that becomes the quick answer because the, you know, the question I ask people is, if the, if we found out that the universe was eternal, that it always existed, would you be okay with that? And most of the time, they're like, yeah, yeah, I, I think I'd be okay with the universe being eternal. Then why are you not okay with a, with a God being eternal? It's it's an issue of morality. I don't want somebody telling me what to do. Yeah. And I submit to a thing. Huh? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. She said, "I'll submit to a thing. I just won't submit to God." Yeah. It's 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 always a moral issue. It's it's never an intellectual. At the heart of it, that's what it is. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's not, it's not our job to, to convince. It's just our job to speak the truth in love and kindness. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And it is. And and look, when you ask questions, you you you've got no committal at this point in time. As long as I ask questions and I listen respectfully and I, I'm trying to understand what you're saying, I keep asking questions, I get to control the conversation. I get to control the conversation. Now, I know that Dawkins is a PhD in biology. I, I know that. But when he makes those statements, those are philosophical claims. Those are not scientific claims. And so his PhD no longer applies. And we just need to recognize that. that oh, well, you're, you're now outside of your realm. Matter of fact, you're in the same realm that I'm in. I think we can handle this. Because he makes a philosophical statement not a scientific claim. And when you start asking for evidence, that gets revealed. Well, I, I don't really have any. Can you give me evidence for God's existence? Can you give me evidence for his non-existence? Right? And you can keep going back and forth in that, but as long as you're asking questions, you control the conversation. And, that's, and again, that's, you know, Greg Kokel, Tactics is a book. We sell that in the bookstore. And um, it's a great book to have, and it's a great book to read. It teaches you how to ask questions. Anything else? All right, we took a survey last week. I'm going to say, yep, we, we got 15 minutes. We took a survey last week for those that were here. I got the results on Monday. Do you want to look at it? <laughs> Not all of us. 
<laughs> not, not, not all of us, okay? And of course, this is, this is not on your paper. Um, but anyway, so we took this. Look, before we get into this, hey, we're all at a different place in our walk with Christ, okay? We are all at a different walk, at a different place, okay? And if you didn't like your results, you could just go do it again and again and again until you get the results you like. <laughs> or we can, we can talk about that. We can talk about that. Uh, but just know, just because, yeah. Uh-huh. There, there could be, because the Wi-Fi, there's a lot of people getting on the Wi-Fi, so what went through and what didn't. But I, the results that we got were 48 people took it, right? 48 people took it, which is about what we had in here. So the, the results are pretty close. They're not perfect. Now, again, keep in mind, as we, as we walk through these ideas, you may not have ended up at 100%, and it could be for, it could be for several reasons. It could be you just didn't read the question well enough. Right, you were you were you were me, and you just read enough to get your information, and you went and answered it. Or there's one word that turns it, or you overthink it, or that's just an idea that 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 you've actually absorbed from the world. Yeah, Kermit. Well, we do, but here's see, here's the here's the thing with that is is my guess is there's nobody that entered the room last week that the thing. Oh, I've got a biblical worldview. I'm good. I'm locked in. I would guess that we all thought that. But how we answered some of those questions would say different. Now, I can walk you through every one of those questions and say, well, here's a key word, because each one's looking for a doctrine. There was four doctrines that it was looking for. And so, and I could walk you through each one of those and say, okay, now what's the answer? And you would, you would get the right answer, even if you didn't get the right answer the first time. Right? I believe that to be true. The thing is, when you leave here, who's walking you through those solutions and those issues in life? We don't know how the world is absorbing, or how we're absorbing the world until we test for it. Right? I think I said this at the beginning if you're not actively cultivating a biblical worldview, then you're passively absorbing the world's worldview. Actively cultivating a biblical worldview, then you're passively absorbing the world. But we think we're not. And so we need to, we need to have those checks, we need to look at ourselves. And the survey allows us to do it. Again, there, there could be various reasons, or this could be, yeah, that's what I thought. Okay? The right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Look, it's, I think it was C.S. Lewis that said this. He said, man, the greatest problems in our world are not the ones that are being hotly debated. They're the ones that we're not discussing at all. Those are the greatest problems in our world. C.S. Lewis was talking about that, right? And it's the problems that appear normal are the ones that we don't, that we don't look at. Because in the world, they, didn't appear. they didn't. And so 
transition happens. And so now what we see is we see with the LBGTQ plus A, right? We're just, you're just trying to normalize the abnormal. You're trying to naturalize the unnatural. But it just passively gets into our ideas and we receive that and we accept that. So here's the results. This is the overview. This is, the, this is everybody. So you can see there was 48 people. The bottom number at the very bottom, that 60%, 60% of the people answered with a biblical worldview 100% of the time. The national average, right, this was 2017, was 19%. If you looked at it today, I think it's 6 or 9%. I get confused on that number. I haven't looked at it in a while. It's either 6 or 9% would answer that. Yeah, I, yeah I, would, I would definitely agree single digits is how the world would answer. So 60% of the group answered with a biblical worldview answer 100% of the time. Okay, and then just above that, you can see where else we fell. New spirituality, there was 21%. Postmodern was 12%. Marxist is 4%. Secularist is 8%. Islamic views is 21%. So that's the group, right? And so, and we think, man, 60%. <laughs> We're rocking this world. We're not. We're not rocking the world, you know, because Christ doesn't call us to walk in him 60% of the time. And that even makes sense for, like, the new spirituality group. That's because that's the most peaceful out of all of us. Yeah. Like, modern, new spirituality, because sometimes it sounds good. Yeah. But again, I, I say this, we're all at a different place in our walk. It's, it's okay if you came back and you're 21% new spirituality as long as you recognize, I don't want to be there. I don't want to be there. That's again, that's that God consciousness that if you just get in touch with your God consciousness that you're one with the universe. Um, Scientology can be in that. Again, you can get into Hinduism. You can get into Taoism. There's, there's a Confucianism. There's a lots of isms out there that would wrap up into that new spirituality view. Yeah. So that's the class as a whole that took it. Okay? So then the next one, right, is, it, is the over, it broke it down into ages. Okay? And so what we had is under 35. We had 35 to 59. And then 60 and above. Okay, I know you're thinking I'm probably in that 70 and above. I'm still in that 59. I'm in that middle group. Okay, just barely a few days. Anyway, I'm moving on. So anyway, that's the way it's going to break down is in these age results. And so as we look at this, right, this is what we see. So there were 10 people in that under 35 age. Uh, they rated 40% of them answered with a biblical worldview 100% of the time. And then you see 40% for new spirituality, 10, 10, 10, and then 50 in Islamic views. And then you have ages, the middle group, 72% answered with a biblical worldview 100% of the time. Please hear me. Just because you're answering with a biblical worldview 100% of the time doesn't mean that you 100% live out that biblical worldview. Okay? 
I mean, I, I am proof positive of that. Follow me around on the interstate or anything else, and you're saying, oh, yeah, that's not 100%, right? That might not even be 10%. We're just checking for ideas here. Is that, that's all we're doing. We're looking for ideas in our, in our ideas. Are they biblical? And so then the 60 and above, you have 944% answered with a 100% biblical worldview. And then that's how it, you can see the breakdown, new spirituality, postmodern, 11, 12. And so it, it just breaks it down by each category. And this one I found to be interesting. This one I found to be interesting. You know what? I thought the age 60 and above would have scored way, 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 way higher. I thought they probably would have been the highest group is, is what I thought, honestly. I, 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 the 35 and under doesn't surprise me. Yeah, oh, yeah, the millennials, gen, you know, whatever that is, it's like, be happy that you got 40%. <laughs> be happy that you got 40%. Um, but, yeah, it's not. You know, I did this with the college students, and Marxism was very low with the college students also. What you're, this trend here that you're seeing here, is what I found with college students. And I did that probably a month ago with them, this, this same survey. And the trend is the same. So, and everything that you see here with this group matches, it's similar to the college students. The numbers vary, right? The numbers vary because we had like 45% of the college students answered with a biblical worldview 100% of the time. That was the high number. And of course, there was no breakdown by ages because they were all just the same age group. Um, yeah, absolutely. You know, and again, the question on the Islam, there were several of them in there, you know, and it was one that was about Allah and Jehovah, right? That's Allah and Jehovah. And it's like, well, that's, that's God. But have you heard that? Yeah, absolutely. And so we hear it. Oh yeah, yeah. That's the same thing. We don't, we don't reflect well on the question. And we, oh, yeah, yeah, that's true. That puts you into the Islamic range. And then there was a few others, again, with the Bible, you know, which, which one holds truth? And the Bible, the Torah, the Quran, the Book of Mormon. Uh, there might have, I can't remember if there's another one in there. So if, if, if you clicked on the Bible, the Torah, and the Quran, again, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to drop a percentage into the, the Islamic. But so I talked with some people about, what time is it? Oh, we're just about running out of time. Um, let, let me go on to the last slide. And then I'm going to, I'll, I'll present something to you at the end. Um, so this one here is the overview by gender. Again, like I said, if you had problems with that, we need to talk. It was pretty simple, I thought, but hey, okay. I'm not judging you, but we need to talk so I can judge you, right? Gender, 26 men, 21 women. The men came out 69% of the time. Women came out 48% of the time. That one blew me out of the water. They did get the, the apple. <laughs> <laughs> Word. <laughs> uh, so anyway, so and, and so that's that's how that breaks down. So here's here's what I want to present to you. We next week we've got uh, if God why evil part two, 
And then for the last class, which is in two weeks, what I have scheduled is what's up with hell. Okay? We can do what's up with hell, or we can just spend that last class talking about the questions, the results, and that, that's up to you. I'm, I'm good either way. Um, I just know that the trend we saw here is the trend that I saw with college students. Uh, I'll be doing a group in uh, January of high school students. I'm going to do them. And, uh, and so I'm just catalog cataloging all of these results and just seeing what it looks like. But, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Retake it until you get 100, okay? Until you, don't come back to the class until you're there. Yeah. So that's up to you. You don't even have to answer now. Uh, just that's an option. I want to put that out there to you. Uh, I, I think it's a pretty important thing. Both of them are important topics, but we can either talk about hell on the last night or we can talk about this. I've got all the questions uh, that we can go and we can revisit and we can, we can, it, I don't even know that we could get through 15 questions in an hour and a half or whatever we've got, but. If we do get to the last slide, then next semester, are we going to get to talk about the hell part? Actually, you know, next semester, um, we're going to, um, we're going to do worldviews, which would, which is this, yeah, which is this, we, you know, we've got. Everybody think about it. I'll ask you next week, we'll take a vote, and somebody that can count can count the votes, and then we'll, we'll go from there, but. Um, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, and that's a huge worldview. It's a huge worldview thing, too. So just think about it, and then, you know, my, my plan is with the next semester class, so whoever's in that class, if you don't come back, then you don't have to worry about it. If you do, is we're going to do the survey again the first night. And then we're going to teach on worldviews for 17 weeks, and then we're going to take it again on the last night. Yeah, it's like I'm done with you at that point in time. It's just like, look, you are not paying attention or something like that is going on. But either way, so just think about it. And, you know, the truth, the things that you're learning, man, I want you to ask yourself, what does God want me to do with this? Man, this is not just knowledge for knowledge's sake. You know, somebody, literally somebody was just asking me this yesterday, and they, they said, you know, all the stuff you read and that you study – how do you even sleep at night? And I said, sometimes I don't. Sometimes I don't. Man, when you learn and you know, I, I believe this is what's happening next. Man, that's a weight that bears on you. But the reality of it is, is God has placed me and he has placed each one of you in this place, in this time, for this moment. Man, we are not to be weighed down with the weighty things of the world, but we are to be concerned with, why does God have me here today? What will I do with my time? The moment that God's given me, what are you going to do with that? Man, we must respond with truth. We must defend the faith. We must use every means possible within the biblical realm to lead other people to the gospel of Jesus Christ and then create a culture of flourishing. It's not just for knowledge's sake. It's for transformation's sake. Right? Romans 12, 1 and 2. 
that would be transformed by the renewing of the mind, that we may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. What will you do with the truths that you've been receiving? Man, go and have a great week. Thank you very much.